Aloha Kako. This is the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio, Hawaii Talks. I'm Noe Tanegawa. Welcome to the Aloha Friday Conversation. Today, it's tasty music from Nahoku Hanohano finalists and stories about how we live together on this little chain of islands. Let's head first to Hawaii Island. I heard through food and ag contacts that the Hawaii Food Basket, the Big Island Central Food Pantry, has been doing amazing things to strengthen the whole food system there. It turns out if they hadn't been building local food contacts, filling the need now would be hard to imagine, according to Kristen Frost Albrecht, executive director of the Hawaii Food Basket. She says the need for food on her island has doubled or even tripled. Our rural areas, the Hamakua Coast and Ka'u, Puna, they feel a little different. I feel like we see a little bit more desperation. I don't use that word lightly. Just, I think there aren't as many stores in those areas. So even if people do have the funds, it might not be so easy to get to a store even in normal times. And a lot of people are saving their gas money because you drive everywhere, right? Everywhere. And the big stores are in Kona and Hilo. So I think that's a, an issue for folks. They're staying close to home. They're saving what money they do have. Uh, and, and they're worried. They're so worried. Uh, how many of those would you imagine are homeless? Wow, that's really hard for me to know. We're not having enough conversations, but I can tell you that many of the cars that we see definitely are lived in. We have many unhoused folks, though, too, that we do see less in the rural areas. And I honestly, it's because I think they're more hidden, but we do see that more in Kona and also in Hilo. Are you having any problems with supply? Are you able to get as much food as you need? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, Food banks typically rely on what I would think of as kind of mainland food of non-perishable items. It's hard for you to buy non-perishable food? Yes. We've been a little lucky in this in that our mission is to end hunger on this island. And so that means we need to increase our food supply here, right? And so we work very hard at at that. What is your biggest source of food right now? Our biggest source of food is honestly our ranchers and farmers. We have a pretty amazing partnership going on with Hawaii Farm Bureau called Bridges. The Farm Bureau purchases several head of cattle or we had 700 pounds of avocados that just came through uh, and they purchase directly from the farmers and ranchers that then they send to us. So we're getting about a thousand pounds of either hamburger and stew meat every week via this program, which is amazing. And I understand that we'll be seeing some pork and chicken as well. What worries you, if anything, ahead? I do worry about running out of funds. (laughs) So far, we've been so amazingly fortunate with the goodwill of our donors and the foundations have been incredible. Our county has been amazing. So far, we're, we're doing well. I know on Maui, they spent over twice what they spent in all of 2019 for food yeah. month of April. Oh, easily. We are easily there, if not triple. Yeah. Right now, we're, we're able to, to buy what we need to buy. But again, that's not a usual scenario for a food bank. Typically, we receive mostly donated food. And, you know, here on Hawaii Island, We have been through a lot in the last couple of years. As I have remarked on occasion, I sort of miss my lava days where we thought that was really harsh and hard and 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 it was, but it wasn't anything like COVID-19. So it's a very different sort of a crisis, if you will. Have you ever seen the word you used, desperation, before? Not like this. This is different. What we're seeing now is people worried about losing their homes or their apartments, not knowing if they're going to get their unemployment, SNAP benefits, any of those backup programs that one thinks you would have in your back pocket if something happened like you lost your job. 
I think that part has been really humbling. And I think it's changing lives in a way that may last forever. It's just really making people think about what it means to be secure. What is that? It makes all of us here at the Food Basket think about it. What have you come to on that, Kristen? Well, I really do believe it's wonderful to live someplace where we can grow our own food. I think also one of the most powerful things in any crisis is knowing your neighbors. You know, if you don't have family living by, but shared response in your neighborhood where somebody will leave a packet on your doorstep of of something from their garden. It's pineapple season right now. We got a pineapple the other day. <laughs> Other lovely things that have happened is I'll hear people talking about how they've sort of adopted a kapuna in their life and they just call them every day and they laugh and they chat and they talk and just remind them that somebody out there loves them and they're connected. And so you get to see those things as well. We have a pretty amazing staff. I just have to say that. I have the most caring and compassionate staff. Everybody's worked long, hard hours, and they just don't lose why they're doing what they do. They really love what they do, and it shows. I'm actually trying to kick them all out today. It's the, after this Ohana drop, and I can see how tired everybody is, and it's so hard to get them to go home. They, they love it. <laughs> That's the kako feeling. Kako meaning together, all of us. Mahalo Hawaii Food Basket. One year away, green light hangs over my head. Forks all around me. Isaac, from his 2019 release, and Bougainvillea. He's a finalist for an Ahoku Male Vocalist of the Year. Do you know what you do? Do you know what you do to me? Saved by the fire, burned by the road. I wandered alone and I held the smoke. Against all the rules, I will dance with the sea. We're looking at hunger today and the food systems we'll need to feed us all. Disaster preparedness experts have worried for years about Hawaii's food security, warning that importing 90% of our food makes us dangerously vulnerable. Daniela Spoto Kitchinger is Director of Anti-Hunger Initiatives for Hawaii Appleseed Center for Law and Economic Justice. She says Hawaii's kupuna are among the most at risk for hunger during this COVID-19 disruption. Even before the pandemic, seniors have unique circumstances that we have to acknowledge when looking at solutions. So things like mobility issues due to physical or cognitive disabilities, dietary restrictions because they might have medical conditions or they're on medications that restrict what they can eat. The one that we're really seeing an uptick in is social isolation. So even before the pandemic, seniors might be at higher risk for social isolation due to limited transportation options but this has been exacerbated. They have fear of venturing out in public for food because they're at higher risk for contracting coronavirus. They have lost connection to their sort of long established food resources. So things like community gatherings or going to church, but things like this are really contributing to the increase in food insecurity. We've been hearing about new food delivery services and Meals on Wheels has more than doubled their drop-offs. There's grocery delivery operations that are cropping up all over the islands. It's really nice to see social service organizations and the philanthropic community rise up to meet these new needs. Is there any way to measure how effective this sort of patchwork of services is? There is a patchwork effort um, and there are efforts to kind of connect the dots and new coalitions cropping up to get people to talk to each other and figure out where the needs and the gaps are. So that's been really nice to see as well. And as you look across the state, you've documented sort of pockets of particular hunger. Hawaii Island, Moloka'i, west side of Oahu. Rural communities are the ones that are bearing the brunt of this pandemic and this economic downturn. And I think that there's a correlation there between rural communities being the ones that grow our food, raise our livestock, and the fact that we are not tapping into that as a source for our food system is just a, a symptom of this larger extraction. If we really value the health of these communities and we want to support the farmers and the families that live in these communities, we should be channeling government funding into these systems 
And we can do that through existing federal nutrition programs like SNAP, the Senior Farmers Market Nutrition Program, things like Farm to School are great for that, institutional purchasing, that is happening and you see it happening more in those areas like the Big Island, like Molokai and like West Oahu, where they really rely on those industries. You're saying that trying to make local agriculture cheaper than imports is not the way to go, that somehow we've got to support people's ability to buy it. It has to be a parallel system. We just don't have the economies of scale to ever compete with those imports. And so if we value that and if we think that this is important for um, not just our economy, but the health of our communities, that needs to be something that we invest in at the state and county level. How does this not end up being taking money from something else to, I mean, or does it end up being that? I guess it always does, right? We actually have a bunch of recommendations on progressive revenue raisers that we've been putting forth. Who's we? My organization, Hawaii Appleseed. Aha. Uh-huh. You mean sort of taking advantage of the moment? Yeah. I mean, I think never waste a good crisis, right? <laughs> what kind of tech are y'all taking? There are recommendations and suggestions that have been floating around out there for years, for in some cases decades, that we're finally taking a fresh look at. To address what? Taxes. Progressive taxes, removing tax breaks on certain industries, and then looking at borrowing. We do have a balanced budget provision in the Constitution, so we're looking at the constitutionality of that, but the Federal Reserve has made it clear that states can borrow at very low interest rates right now. When you talk about how do you invest in the health of communities and community resilience without taking money from something else, the answer is you have to grow the pie. We've been talking with Daniela Spoto-Kittinger, Director of Anti-Hunger Initiatives for Hawaii Appleseed Center for Law and Economic Justice. Find new strategies for expanding food resources on the Appleseed website. We turn now to international perspectives on the current pandemic with BBC Coronavirus Global Update. This is the Coronavirus Global Update on Friday the 22nd of May. I'm Nick Miles. The UN says Yemen's healthcare system has in effect collapsed. India records its highest daily increase in cases so far, and researchers in the UK begin a trial using immunotherapy as a possible treatment. The United Nations says it has reports that the healthcare system in Yemen is failing as the coronavirus spreads throughout the country. Jens Lark is a UN spokesman. Yemen is really on the brink right now. The situation is extremely alarming. They are talking about that the health system has in effect collapsed. They are talking about having to turn people away because they do not have enough oxygen. With more, here's our Middle East analyst, Alan Johnston. The UN has been pulling together the reports that it's been getting from aid agencies in Yemen and building up the picture, and it is clearly appalled by what it's seen. The Yemeni government has confirmed scores of cases of coronavirus and 30 deaths, but the UN saying it's almost certain that the true figures are likely to be much higher. The government of South Sudan has confirmed that 10 ministers have contracted the coronavirus. Emanuela Gunza reports. The source of the outbreak of the virus at the top level of South Sudan's government was a former staff member with COVID-19 who reportedly came into contact with senior ministers and government officials. The news that 10 members of the cabinet have contracted the illness comes just days after first Vice President Riek Mashar announced he had tested positive alongside his wife, Defence Minister Angelina Tenney. All ministers who are infected are now in self-isolation and the government says they are in good health. Rights groups in the Russian capital Moscow have asked the authorities to stop using a coronavirus tracking app after more than a 1,000 users said they'd been wrongly fined for violating lockdown restrictions. More than 60,000 Moscow residents have signed up for the app, which is aimed at monitoring how the city's quarantine is being observed. India has reported more than 6,000 new cases of the coronavirus in the last 24 hours. But it's also announced slight easing of the lockdown, with some domestic flights and train services resuming. Our South Asia editor, Jill McGivering, says it's a mixed picture. On the one hand, India had that extraordinarily stringent national lockdown. There's also the sense of India starting to take some steps back towards normality very slowly. But we're hearing things like, for example, from Monday, some domestic flights will resume, but with strict social distancing measures in place. Train services eventually are starting to come back. But at the same time, also a spike in new cases in the last just the last couple of days. Uh, in the last 24 hours, more than 6,000 new cases and the previous couple of days high as well. 
could be because there's increased contact, but certainly it's something they're going to watch very carefully. The World Health Organization says it needs much more money for its plan to combat the global coronavirus pandemic. It comes as President Trump is threatening to withdraw US funding for the body. Dr. Tedros Adhanam Ghebreyesus is the WHO's Director General. We updated the plan earlier this month with an estimate that WHO will require $1.7 billion to fund our response to COVID-19 this year. So far, almost $800 million US dollars has been pledged or received, leaving a gap of just over $900 million. Friday prayers have been held in mosques in Gaza for the first time in two months following the easing of restriction imposed to fight the virus. Many people have also been gathering in shopping centres as they prepare for the end of the holy month of Ramadan. Researchers in Britain are beginning a clinical trial of an immunotherapy as a possible treatment for people with the most severe forms of COVID-19. Here's Victoria Gill. An examination of blood samples from 60 of the most severely ill patients has revealed a vital clue as to why some have worse symptoms than others. Those samples showed an extremely low number of a specific virus-fighting immune cell called a T-cell. A team from Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital in London is now embarking on a clinical trial testing a new immune-boosting therapy called IL-7. It's already proven to increase the number of T-cells that COVID-19 appears to deplete. The woman who organised the weekly Thursday evening clap for carers in the UK says she thinks it should end next week. Anne-Marie Plas says it's been a wonderful way to reunite the community. Next week will be the 10th time and I think that would be beautiful to be the end of the series to then maybe there stop and then move to an annual moment because I also feel we're slowly shifting and then other opinions start to rise to the surface. This is the Coronavirus Global Update. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. On the next applause in a small room, on the heels of his successful run on NBC's The Voice, will share a performance with Holly Eva's own Thunderstorm Artis. He shared original songs as well as covers, and brother Ron Artis joins in as well. That's Thunderstorm Artis on the next applause in a small room, so Sunday at 4 p.m. on HPR One. Little baby, Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Honolulu Habitat for Humanities Restore, a home improvement store and donation center, announcing its reopening, hours 9.30 to 4.30, Monday to Saturday, honoluluhabitat.org. This is the Aloha Friday Conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Coming up, your backyard quiz. Unihoa. For today's Backyard Quiz, we're looking for the name of a self-taught graphic artist whose designs you have seen all over the state. They're on street murals, signage at local restaurants, magazines, and on clothing. Born and raised on Oahu, our mystery man worked as a security guard and stock clerk before getting his big break. His artwork was discovered by the local owner of Echo Unlimited, that international youth culture brand. Well, this artist was went off and honed his talent at Echo in New York City for about four years before coming back. And uh, he just has been a splash ever since. One of his most recognizable designs is the picture postcard lettering, Wish You Were Here painted on the bottom of a Waikiki hotel's pool. You think you know who you were talking about here? Call 941-3689 or 
941-3689 if you know the answer. Be the first one to get it right and you'll get our reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. Support for the Aloha Friday Quiz comes from Locations, whose Realtors and staff proudly support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawaii's people and places. Locations, welcome home. Welcome back to the Aloha Friday Conversation, an hour of art, culture, and ideas on HPR One. Willie Kahaili'i, Willie K, passed this week surrounded by his ohana in Wailuku, Maui. He was 59. Willie grew up in a musical family here on Oahu. His father, Manu Kahaili'i, was a well-known blues guitarist and his mother, a singer. Willie said he started performing at eight and never looked back. Aggressive and fluid in a multitude of guitar styles, Willie performed with Prince, Santana, Willie Nelson, various times, but Willie, could make your head spin by slamming into super sweet or altered <laughs> Hawaiian music. tease his partner at the time, Amy Hanayali'i, about her musical education, saying, me, 20 years TV, enough. <laughs> Willie loved to fool around, and his abilities were such that he could pull it off, singing like Genoa Keave, Satchmo, or Pavarotti. After a patch of damp weather, circles of common interest are cropping up across Hawaii's economic and social landscape. People are banding together to strategize a better future as we emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic. I'd like you to meet Albie Miles, Assistant Professor, Sustainable Ag Systems at UH West Oahu. His name comes up when you talk about sustainable ag systems and food security in Hawaii. My principal concern at this point is we're in the middle of a, a pandemic and there are a lot of interruptions of our normal uh, social behaviors and opportunities and, and our economy has contracted profoundly and at the same time we're entering our hurricane season. We weren't well prepared for COVID-19 and we're not well prepared for feeding ourselves under a severe weather event like a hurricane. So emergency feeding, as well as making sure that people have an adequate income, whether it's through some type of supplemental assistance or direct feeding programs is, is critical in this time of crisis. Is that what worries you most? Well, the other things I think that we really need to take into account is that we have very vulnerable import infrastructure. I mean, the state, as we import you know, approximately 90% of the foods that we consume, um, that import infrastructure is also vulnerable. Most of the food that we consume comes in through the port of Honolulu, and that's the single point of entry for much of the food that enters the entire state. And in the context of climate change and some impact to that critical systems infrastructure, we have no real functional redundancy in our import infrastructure. And we also don't have a lot of in-state commercial or emergency stores of food. And at a large population level, uh, there are a few people within the state of Hawaii 
who have that recommended 14-day supply of emergency food in their households. What would I invite you to do first to start building some food system resilience? There's a range of strategies. So I think the key thing that we need to do in the short term right now, and, and there's uh, working groups who are focused on this, is we need to you know, stabilize farmers' incomes right now. And some of the federal assistance funds that are flowing into the state are designed to do just that, to prevent farmers from going under financially. But once we start to open back up and markets uh, begin to resume, I think we need to plan for future impacts. That would include identifying key vulnerabilities in the food system of Hawaii. We're here by ourselves in the middle of the Pacific. Uh, you know, what, what specific vulnerabilities are you talking about? I'm talking about the vulnerabilities of our import infrastructure need to be assessed. Uh, the vulnerability that results from our lack of commercial food storage in the state. The fact that we do not have our commercial food distributors well articulated with our emergency management agencies. Other elements of vulnerability that have been identified is that most of our critical food storage that we do have, the commercial food storage, is right down by the commercial port of Honolulu within an inundation zone. So I think we really need an overarching state food policy to direct food and agriculture toward resilience and equity, long-term ecological sustainability and public health, and specifically a climate change strategy to enhance our resilience, knowing that we're going to experience uh, impacts of climate change and other human-caused or natural disasters in the future. Do you actually see any opportunities now? I think there's lots of opportunities. Uh, there's an ag agricultural recovery working group right now that has been formed and there are members of the Department of Agriculture, the Farm Bureau, the Farm Union, and a range of actors across the food and agricultural system of Hawaii, uh, folks in higher education. And we've all come together to develop a set of policy recommendations to help guide some of the decision-making around the federal stimulus funds. The intention is to, of course, address the short-term crisis of stabilizing the financial situation of farmers, address the issue of emergency feeding, but ideally link up farmers with emergency feeding programs so that federal dollars can go to farmers and they can help feed the people in our state who are vulnerable or food insecure. Gee, that's what the Big Island Food Basket's doing. We need to grow our local agricultural economy and increase the purchasing power of our citizenry while at the same time buttressing our food import infrastructure because we will always be dependent upon external sources of food. And there's resilience in being coupled to global commodity chains. And so a combination of local agricultural production, buttressing our import infrastructure, those two things in combination is what we really need. That was L.B. Miles, Assistant Professor, Sustainable Ag Systems at UH West Oahu. Find links to more about kupuna hunger and food sovereignty in the COVID-19 era with this story on the Conversation webpage. traditional Hawaiian values. Kamana Beamer is an associate professor jointly with the UH Richardson School of Law and the Hawaii Nuiakea School of Hawaiian Knowledge. He says the new Aina Aloha Economic Futures Declaration puts relationship with the land at the center of a new socioeconomic system in Hawaii. I think the moment that we're in right now is not necessarily one of um, recovery. We're really rebuilding an entire new future in society. This COVID experience has affected all of us, and, and I think it's reminded us how important we are to each other as, as a society, how important our aina is. So we really have this opportunity. Um, it's not about rebuilding the existing system, one that certainly didn't work for the vast majority of our population. 
So we propose to rebuild an economy that embodies, you know, Aina Aloha and that serves communities. And in many ways, this aligns with the global effort to create circular economies. It's very big in the EU, in Europe now, even in China. What do they um, mean by that, Kamana? So a circular economy is essentially an economy that is regenerative, that designs out waste, and that creates meaningful and livable wages for people. The economy that we we're used to previous to COVID, that's a linear economy, and it's really based on make, take waste. So you go out, you extract resources, get them as cheaply as possible, you build a product, manufacture it, you sell it, you generate your profit, and it becomes waste, and that's someone else's problem. And, and that, that philosophy, that economy, has essentially brought our world to the brink of collapse with climate change. And so globally, um, there's this effort to, to redesign our economy. We can design out waste. We can create an economy that's much more like our, our natural systems that have survived for millennia on our planet because everything is, is recycled. So here in Hawaii, in this opportunity, in the midst of COVID, we, we can create our attempt you know, at, at embodying this Aloha concept in our economy. Beamer says four basic tenets of the Aina Aloha philosophy were hammered out by an initial group of 14 community members and then circulated in their networks. Retired Hawaii Community College Assistant Professor Dr. Noe Noe Wong Wilson is co-spokesperson for the Hui, or group, behind this declaration. The principle of Aina Aloha, of Opuali'i, of Imi Oe Kela Kela, of Ho'okipa, they're really very basic principles that we felt if you cannot even sign on to this document, then maybe you should be looking at why you live in Hawaii. You can find explanations of these concepts in the full document at AinaAlohaFutures.com. This document is meant to be inclusive. It's meant to incorporate all of our communities. It's based in our Hawaiian ike kupuna, the, the knowledge and, and ideals of our older people, our ancient people. But it's not exclusive for Hawaiians. It really is a statement about how we as a community should be regarding our own selves, our own land, particularly, and our neighbors. On the Aina Aloha Futures website, visitors are asked to contribute to the draft of an action agenda. Among the guiding principles, supporting the input of every person born here or who's chosen Hawaii as their home, and affirming Hawaiian culture and values. I know that these principles are embedded in our state constitution, but I will challenge anyone to tell me how well they're being applied and whether they're really actually being listened to and regarded when decisions get made. Because so many decisions that come out of government just absolutely ignore these principles. How do you think we crack through that problem? Well, the first way we do it is we want to be inclusive. So we're going to open the doors in the second phase here uh, to the community, the larger community, to participate with us in this. More than 550 individuals and groups have endorsed the Aina Aloha Economic Futures Declaration so far, and it was submitted to Governor Ige earlier this week. But ultimately the goal is, look, we want jobs. <laughs> we just don't want to pollute our environment in doing that. And, and there are better ways um, that, that we can redesign our future. At one point, it's just, it was like every year, oh, we want 9 million, we want 10 million visitors. And you heard from the community before this collapse, when is enough enough? We have this moment now to rethink, right? Um, we certainly need meaningful work and livable wages for all of our communities, but not at the expense of our environment. Kamana, right now when people are in such desperate pain, the easiest thing to do would be to just funnel money back into the old systems, don't you think? How exactly do you crack into the redesign? Yeah, sure. And that's part of the reason what um, galvanized our group. You know, where some of us work in tourism, some of us are entrepreneurs, some of us are educators, but we all recognize we have to put the Aina first. And I think um, the way that we crack that system is, is by collaborating with each other and building a process that includes the community input. There's certain principles that I think we don't want to return to as a society. We don't need an economic system where probably eight out of every $10 goes to a foreign corporation outside of Hawaii. We want those dollars to stay here. And so part of, I think, us cracking that system is 
is seeing our collective mana, you know, our ability to speak out, to organize, to influence decision makers and, and policy makers. I think our movement, a part of our efforts is to, you know, look to the community. Uh, that's, that's the other part is, you know, there's really innovative community members that are out there doing small scale agriculture, farming, entrepreneurial efforts, and we want to help them rise in this new economy. And I know we have lots of friends in the travel industry, the tourist hospitality industry. They depend on that for their, for their livelihood. But I didn't hear a single person say, well, I really miss 10 million visitors. In fact, just the opposite. We can see fish in the ocean. There's, there's no longer a suntan lotion on all of our shorelines. The limo's growing back. We've seen larger fish come up from the deep ocean. There's a resurgence of our own natural environment that happened even in the first 30 days that the economy was closed. Some of the things I think that people were distressed about early on is, my goodness, all of our food has to come from, from offshore. How did we allow that to happen when Hawaii used to be the breadbasket for the West Coast in the expansion of the continent? And now we're just absolutely the opposite. This is our opportunity. I mean, we've all inherited this system. And, and for a period in time, it seemed like it was impossible to ever change, to crack. And we've seen what a pause looks like. Everyone alive today in the world has an opportunity to reshape and recreate the system because there has never been a break. There's never been a pause that we've experienced like this. What we really got to recognize, Noe, is um, the old economic system here in Hawaii was in incredibly antiquated. And again, this is our opportunity to, to link up to best practices around the world in reforming an economy. Where are you looking for models? Is anyone doing this right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you see pockets of it, I think, all over the world. Aotearoa, it's happening in Germany. It's happening in Denmark, here in Hawaii. Yeah, how, how do we continue to create uh, more jobs, but, but meaningful jobs, you know, that have meaningful wages for the people? Other countries in the world are doing this. Mm -hmm. and, and the goals, you know, are really to, to decouple environmental degradation with economic growth. And so there's a whole suite of ways that you can do that. And, and again, a big way is, is this idea that we can design out waste. We've been talking with Noe Noe Wong Wilson and Kamana Beamer about the Aina Aloha Economic Futures Declaration. Find out more or offer input at ainaalohafutures.com through the end of May. Here, now Hoku Hanohano finalists, The Green, with Shaw Naoao, Kaumakaiva, and Kumuhina. With so many local musicians out of work, the Hawaii Academy of Recording Arts, Hara, is launching the Kokua Hawaii Entertainers Fund to benefit all its members. A television special will highlight uh, past Nahoku Hanohanu festivities this weekend on local networks. You can find out more at harahawaii.com. We are rich warriors, fight hand in hand. We throw it conquerors, my Hawaii, you can never take away. I look up at another high rise. Too much people in the city. There for the cup with the sweet, sweet wine. 2020, what a pity. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, with a mission to create transformative experiences through art and committed to standing with the community during this time. Updates on reopening at honolulumuseum.org. Hello, this is Yo-Yo Ma. The last few months have been deeply sad challenging us in ways we could not have imagined. Now I invite you to join me for music of beauty, strength, and consolation as I play Bach's six cello suites, a memorial for those we have lost, and a tribute to our resilience in a live performance from WGBH in Boston. Sunday morning at 9 on Sister Station HPR2. On Aloha Fridays, we focus on art, 
culture, and ideas. Today on the arts front, we'll look at what's up at the Hawaii Arts Alliance, Hawaii's only statewide arts advocacy group. Terry Skillman is associate director there, and she says thanks to $606,000 in payroll protection grant money, they'll make it through June. Uh, artists, the Alliance has started a creative network database, and they're calling on all creatives in the state to come on, band together. If you go to the website to register, you can also check the recap of a recent webinar with Congressman Ed Case on the possibility of Works Progress Administration-style arts programs for 2020. Individual artists and makers across the state are dealing with canceled orders and events and, for a lot of them, uncertain government aid as freelancers and gig workers. The Village Hui is a group of mainly Kaka'ako-based makers and eateries offering a weekly collaboration at ward2go.com. Ward2go.com. This week, it's Tango. After that, it's Scratch. Rinka, Piggy Smalls, they sold out earlier this month. And the deal? $25, and you get a Sunday brunch for two and a chance at a gift bag from fellow businesses in the area like Fish Cake, Moray Biotter Flea, and a whole lot more. That's at ward2go.com. Now, there have been rumors of classical musicians performing with brass and woodwinds, playing through little zippers, you know, in their masks. Not so here in Hawaii, where the Hawaii Symphony has been on temporary COVID-related hiatus. Dave Moss, the symphony's new executive director, arrived at his post March 10th, five days before the stay-at-home order. Mr. Moss says, CARES Act funding has been an absolute lifeline. The symphony received $750,000 to take it through the current season. And this is good because Hawaii Opera Theater, Ballet Hawaii, countless theater productions, community ensembles, and thousands of music students rely on the symphony's musicians. Moss is looking at future performances, and he says concerts under the stars of the Waikiki shell could happen. You can hear the Hawaii Symphony Tuesday nights on HPR 2. HPR's president and general manager, Jose Fajardo, has recently joined the symphony board. In the show, we asked you about a prolific graphic designer whose stylized lettering is, is really recognizable all across the state. Micah Kawaguchi Ailacher. She's an art teacher at Lahaina Luna High, knew the answer. Uh, she teaches t a lesson on lettering, and Matthew Tapia is definitely one of the artists she teaches. Great. You know, she wanted to give a big shout out to her seniors there at Lahaina Luna. They're going to be lighting the L on Sunday. So our thoughts are with you, seniors. Matthew Tapia designed that phrase, wish you were here at the bottom of the pool at Surf Jack Hotel. Instagrammers love it. And you would too if you see it. That's today's quiz. And if you have one, you can send it on to us via talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Meyer was born in Illinois in 1929 during the Great Depression. He served in the Korean War, then moved to Hawaii in 1950. Meyer hobnobbed with Mayor Neil Blaisdell, Henry Kaiser, and other members of Honolulu's in-crowd. He owned and operated the Hawaiiana Hotel in Waikiki for decades before retiring and moving to the California desert in 2000. After a couple of years, he opened a hardware store. Now 91. Meyer recently sent a note of kupuna wisdom to his seven children in light of the upheaval caused by this coronavirus. After reading it, I called Mr. Meyer to hear the message straight from the horse's mouth. Well, first of all, people die. I don't know where young people got the idea that everybody has to live forever. Seventy percent of the people that have died have been in nursing homes and over 75 so it's unnatural to me. I mean, there's nothing abnormal or unnatural about it. So you're for business as, as usual. There's too many people, you know, that 
have spent their lives working to have it thrown away by somebody sitting in Washington that isn't worried about all the things that any entrepreneur would be worried about. You're you're sitting in in Hawaii, uh, which is more per capita debt than California, and people in Hawaii don't have a clue that their island is simply totally broke. You probably don't know that. Did you know that when you were living here? Yeah, oh yeah. I... I could send you 20 articles I wrote in the Star Bulletin that were published in the bulletin about the incompetence of the, of the government. When people ask you, you know, about the good old days, were there any here? or What do you say? Oh, well, when the good, there were good old days when I didn't care about the taxes. Tap Fryer, remember that name? Sure. Well, sea Life Park. He built Sea Life Park. Jimmy Clark took his place as a senator, but Neil Blaisdell asked me if I wanted to do that, and I went around with Neil, because I was just getting interested in politics, and we're on Kakaako one night, one evening drinking beer and talking story with the local boys, and I turn around, here's Neil slugging it out on the ground with some guy that insulted him, and I said, Neil, I have a very thin skin compared to you. Hell, I'd be in a fight every night. There, there were good old days because I was surfing and having fun. We stole away on the Lurley and get off in Hilo when it stopped and stuff like that. We had a lot of fun. And when I started getting concerned about politics, I realized how ugly and incompetent it was. I mean, don't you think Honolulu's improved in terms of its leadership? Absolutely not. If anything, it's not any worse. But it it hasn't improved. After you get through talking to me, you go home and shoot yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But this is perspective, you know. When you were growing up, what were things like that that your folks tried to drill into you? It was a much more no-nonsense growing up because, you know, we didn't have safe spaces. You could go and not feel your feelings were going to be hurt and all that kind of crap. You know, it just makes a person like me laugh. You think people have gotten a little too sensitive over time? Absolutely. Political correctness is just so bizarre that I can't even abide it. Not at all. I'm thinking about your hardware store. What do you have in there? Everything you can use and everything that you need to operate your house. It's a little store, and we know everybody that comes in. It's, it's, a, it's a Fibber McGee and Molly thing. It's like an old radio show, you know. Well, what's it like? I, I don't know. Fibber McGee and Molly? Burns and Allen. I am George Burns of Silver Lake. Everybody laughs. I tell them sometimes how ugly they are. How they put the mask back on. I poke fun at everybody that comes in, and they love it because it's a free zone. But if you don't want to have some banter, they don't come in, and I don't give a damn. Well, give me some examples of of what you sell and what someone might come in for. My God, under the sink, plumbing, paint, nails, hoses, water hoses, drips, watering cans. Cement. Toilet repair? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And all kinds of copper fittings and sprinkler system fittings and everything you'd need. Gosh, I don't know how you would have ever started something like that. Oh, my. You probably just, it expanded and expanded. Oh. It, it was stocked by the people that live in Silver Lakes. If they asked for something, we'd get it. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. I've been in the hotel business for 40 years. And uh, now that our business is booming as a result of the whatever virus we have flying around. So Why is your business booming? Because nobody ha- has to wait in line. You just walk oh. in. We don't give a damn about all the rules and regulations. There's nobody sick up here. There's so many things that people just don't get. I think the Internet has made people lazy, mentally lazy, if the electricity goes off. If their phone stops working, they're absolute idiots. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, <laughs> well, I <don't> and, <laughs> and that's 
that's the way I treat people in the store, too. I say, you know, you were in here this morning. Your limit is once a day. <laughs> and, you know, you say it in tongue-in-cheek, and people laugh. And they say, okay, I'm, I'm going to come back and punish you one more time. I'm just uh, the old fart that has fun. And I've, I've got a beautiful wife. Everybody wonders about how in the world that happened. She is a low-maintenance, highly qualified, and she also was uh, assistant to Mayor Fossey. So she, she knows where the bones are buried, too. So we're just two expatriates, very happy with where we are. Hey, yeah. thanks so much. Okay, my dear. Big hug your, over the phone. And to you and to all my kitties. Love you all. Executive Harry Meyer retired and moved to the desert town of Silver Lakes, California. Talk to your grandpa lately. Here's Anuhea. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Sometimes it feels like this world's gone crazy. For this Aloha Friday, what do you think about the show? Call our talkback line and leave us your comments. That's at 808-792-8217. You can also email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Visit the conversation page there on the HPR website to listen back to our shows. This program is produced by Lillian Song, Harrison Patino, and Jason Upai. The Backyard Quiz theme was written for us by John DeMello and our theme music courtesy of Gypsy 808. The conversation team is going to have the Memorial Day off, so join us on Tuesday when we pick up the conversation. I'm Noe Tanigawa. Let's take care of each other.